you got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to talk about that there is no other name. There's no other name. Now, it's interesting. I began to look it up online, and I'll tell you, sometimes it's, it's kind of scary what you can find on Google, isn't it? And I began to look up online, and I thought, you know, let me look, let me look up this idea of, of people that are trying to save the world. And as soon as I brought that up, it was all these environmental saviors, you know, 50 people who are going to save this world from the polar ice caps melting to global warming to removing carbon footprints. And I thought, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Let me, let me try something else. And then I put in uh, saviors of the world and up popped this song from Skillet. And I read the lyrics to it and I went, oh, that's really bad. And so I kept on trying to look on there and I thought, well, I know there's people trying to save it environmentally. I'm talking about how about some religious people that are trying to save it or save people from this world. And I came across this huge list, and I kind of brought up three this morning, and I thought this was interesting. And it was a guy by the name in the 1800s. His name was Bahalo, and he was born a Shiite, and he was born, uh, he was adopted in a baptism later in 1844. Uh, he claimed to be the prophesied fulfillment, get this, of the promised one of major religions, including Hinduism, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, Christianity. And Islam, and he founded the faith called the Baha'i in 1863. Uh, he believed he was the fulfillment of the second coming of Jesus and the prophecies, prophecies of the fifth Buddha and many other religious prophecies. And he led many people to believe in him and to trust in him. And he died in 1982, and none of what he proclaimed came true. But he had a following. Well, let's not forget in the 1900s, there was a guy by the name of Jim Jones, right? You guys might remember him, founder of the People's Temple, started off as an offshoot of mainstream Protestantism. You know what's sad is most cults fall from a particular religion. Unfortunately, there are a lot of cults that are sparred on from Christianity. But the People's Temple was one of those. And, and what he proclaimed, he claimed to be the reincarnation of, get this, Jesus, Akantan, Buddha, Vladimir Lenin, and Father Divine in the 1970s. And he ordered a mass suicide at Jonestown on November 18, 1978, where people drink the Kool-Aid. You've heard of don't drink the Kool-Aid that comes from Jim Jones. And then he actually killed himself following that. Well, more, one of the more recent ones was a guy by the name of Marshall Applewhite who led a group from 1975 to 1997 called the Heaven's Gate Cult. This was going on when I was at Liberty University. So they believed that an alien spacecraft was just under Halley's Comet and would take them away if they committed suicide as the comet passed by. In March of 1997, as Halley's Comet passed by, they drank a mixture of phenobarbital and vodka and died. All of these people following some idea that they want to be saved. you got to understand that today people are looking for salvation from this world. They realize this world is not all there is, and they're looking for answers. And unfortunately, they end up finding answers in some fruit loops like this. Some people that have gone off the deep end, some people that don't know the truth, some people that proclaim something as truth, and they listen and they believe, and then they follow it, and then they find out later on they are going to stand before God and enter into the gates of hell. That's the sad reality. But I wonder what would happen if we were really all in on believing that Jesus Christ is the only way. That there is no other name. Well, I can tell you there have been men throughout history that have believed that and so willingly gave up so many rights 
So many things they were willing to be imprisoned for. John Bunyan was one who probably wrote the second greatest Christian book behind the Bible called Pilgrim's Progress while he was imprisoned for 12 years away from his family. Who would be willing to suffer something like that, to be away from their family, wondering if they would even survive because he was the sole means of their provisions, and yet God supplied and took care of John Bunyan for 12 years. Or how about William Tyndall, who wrote the first English translation of the Bible because he wanted to get the Bible into the hands of the people. And so he wrote this Reformation study by this Reformation English Bible, and he presented it to the people. And because of that, they imprisoned him because they didn't want the people to have the Word of God in their hands. And they imprisoned him for a year, and then they strangled him and burned him to death at the stake. Or how about people like John Huss who stood against the Roman Catholic Church because they weren't teaching by grace through faith, but they were teaching a work salvation or that you could buy your way into heaven. And during the Reformation time, John Huss said, no, I will not have it. And he stood against those religious leaders and he said, we will not partake in this. We will teach them grace through faith in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ alone, who was then in prison and then he was burned at the stake for his faith. And I wonder how many of us will willingly give up our freedoms to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. These men were willing to be imprisoned. These men were willing to die for their faith. Nowadays, we're afraid to mention the name of Jesus at our work in case we might get fired. Do we really believe there's no other name? Are we more concerned about someone's eternity And more concerned about them not wanting them to spend their lives in hell as we are about losing our jobs or losing our friends or losing our family because we're willing to teach truth. You see, Peter and John were those kind of men that were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. They were willing to be in prison, willing to be persecuted, willing to go through tribulations because they wanted the name of Jesus Christ to be known all over the world. Well, this morning we're going to look at three scenes in the trial of Peter and John and what it takes to believe that there is no other name. First, we begin by the arresting of Peter and John. Look with me in Acts 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now, remember, as a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. We talked about Peter and John had walked into the temple, and there was a lame man laid at the temple. And as they walked by, there he was laid up, and he was begging alms. And he said, you know, he was asking for silver and gold. And Peter looked down at him and said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get up and walk. The man got up, stood up for the first time, never used his legs, never been on his feet. And he got up, and he began to leap into the temple. And as he leaped into the temple, he began to praise God and draw attention to Peter and John. So then they preached the word of God in such a powerful way that it drew a crowd into them. Well, the problem is, is when you drew a crowd back then, not only did you draw all kinds of people who wondered what you were teaching, you also drew the wrong kind of people. You drew the people that didn't want you to have a crowd around you. You drew people around you that were looking to find bad things about you. You were looking To cause problems as they saw it. But the Bible made it very clear Jesus himself had already proclaimed to the disciples that they would face such things like this. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, 
chapter 13, verses 9 and 11, Jesus wanted to prepare them. And he said this, but watch out for yourselves. For they'll deliver you up to councils, and you'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Just know that if you're out there proclaiming the gospel, he said, just be prepared. They will arrest you. You will go on trial. You will go through some difficulties. And because of that, be ready. But he also said this, if you are arrested for me, if you are imprisoned for me, don't worry. I'll give you what to say. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to get ready. I will be ready for you. And I will put my Holy Spirit upon you who will speak through you. And God will use you at those times to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. He said, don't worry. I got you. So in Acts 4, that's what's happening. These people are gathered around Peter and John. They're gathered around this lame man. And in verse 2, it says they were greatly disturbed greatly disturbed why it says because they taught the people and preached in jesus the resurrection from the dead two things they didn't like number one they didn't like jesus you got to remember they had him arrested as a blasphemer they were the ones that had him crucified and here his disciples are out there preaching about him so yes of course they're going to be upset who why are you preaching about this guy that we killed why are you talking about this guy that we told everybody he was a blasphemer why are you talking about we don't like that you're teaching in the name of Jesus but they also didn't like the idea of teaching about the resurrection and you may say well isn't that something that they believed in well some did the pharisees believed in the resurrection But the Sadducees, who were the main leaders, the main ones of the priestly tribe, did not believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So if you ever want to know the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, it's real simple. The Sadducees don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in angels. And they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. A really bad dad joke, I know. But you think about it. These guys were upset. They didn't like the idea of the resurrection being taught because they didn't believe it. And if they didn't believe it, they didn't want it taught. And they didn't want people believing these false doctrines. And so they wanted to shut it down. So the greatest way to shut it down was to arrest them and take them off to trial. We don't want to hear what you have to say. We don't want the crowds to hear what you have to say. So let's pull you off the streets and let's silence you. In verse 3 it says, And they laid hands on them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now this is interesting because you have to understand the time frame. If you go to Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, you find that they went there to the temple in the third or the ninth hour, which is 3 in the afternoon. So 3 in the afternoon is when Peter and John enter into the temple. They're headed there for that hour of prayer. They meet the lame man. They heal the lame man. He is brought up. He's no longer lame. He's leaping. He's jumping. They preach to the people. And now it's 6 o'clock. So they actually... Even though we only have that little bit in chapter 3, it was a three-hour service. Some of y'all are going, I'm out of here after hour one. (laughs) Brother, I got you on a clock. (laughs) Three hours ain't happening. Three hours God was moving in the temple. Three hours God was doing something great right there in the temple. They weren't afraid to stay that long. They wanted to hear what needed to be said. They wanted to hear the word of God. They wanted to know what God was doing. They wanted to know, why is this guy leaping? 
Why is this guy excited? Now you think about it. If you're an excited Christian, people want to know why you're excited. You want to know why they want to know why you're excited? Because they want to know why they aren't as excited as you are. They want to know why you're jumping for joy for the cause of the Lord. They want to shut you down if you get excited for the Lord. People don't want you to be excited anymore. They want you to be silent. They want you to keep it to yourself. Your religion's personal. Everything about it should be for you. You can believe your truth. I believe my truth. Don't share that. No, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about being excited about what Jesus Christ has done for us. So excited to think about what Jesus has done for us we've got to let everybody know Peter and John were not ashamed they were unafraid and they were willing to go out there and proclaim it even though they would be arrested but look at verse 4 however you can't stop God that's why I love that word however here however many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000 this is the last time a number is mentioned in Acts you want to know why because the church just grew exponentially after this is multitudes, multitudes, and multitudes. I'm telling you, they kept up with it. A lot of people say, oh, I can't believe that they wrote about a number. Well, you do realize there's an entire book in the Old Testament called Numbers, right? God was concerned with numbers because he was concerned with every soul that came to know him. 5,000. Now, a lot of people say, well, does that mean that 5,000 got saved during this time? More than likely, it's talking about the total number of the church at this time was 5,000. 3,000 saved at Pentecost. People were being saved every day according to the word of God. It said it was growing daily. And now it totaled about 5,000 thousand people within the church the thing is is people were getting saved daily god was moving daily how does god move daily if he's only supposed to move in the church because he doesn't just move in the church he doesn't just work here to be honest with you in the churches i've been in the majority of times that people get saved aren't during church services they've gotten saved during that week and then they come and make a profession during sunday Somebody has reached out to them. Somebody has spoken to them. But Peter and John were willing to be arrested for what they believed in. Number two, look at the question by the religious leaders. Verse five, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Anas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this they gathered the Sanhedrin and you may say what is the Sanhedrin what was a group of 71 religious leaders 71 religious leaders well who composed those 71 well it gives you kind of a list here it was the rulers in fact the rulers were the chief priests these were the Sadducees they represented the 24 priestly orders then there were the elders these were the family heads or the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel then there were the scribes they were the law experts these would be the Pharisees who understood the law who could interpret the law and then it was Anas who was the a former high priest but Anas also had his family as a part of it because he had five sons one son-in-law and one grandson who had become high priest as well and so it mentions Anas it mentions the high priest Caiaphas John and Alexander these were all ones that had represented the high High priest council. And so all of these people were gathered together. This was the religious elite of the elite. This today would be a lot like all of a sudden the, the religious elite of every organization. Somebody from every denomination got together. Some of those from other religions got together and said, we've got to put a stop to what's being spoken about. Can I tell you, in the end of times, that's exactly what's going to happen. Every religious leader will gather against Christianity. 
They will gather against the people of Israel. They will turn against them in a mighty way. And every one of them will come together as a one world faith. And they will gather together to stop the preaching of the name of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. They will fail. And they will fail greatly. The Bible tells us very clearly. So these men are gathered together to stop the power and the preaching. And look at what they say in verse 7. Here's the question. By what power or by what name have you done this? Can I tell you that they were not being unbiblical during this time? You say, wait a minute. They arrested them and they put them on trial. And all they were doing was preaching the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, but they weren't being unbiblical. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you look in Deuteronomy 13, they were doing exactly what they should have done. Deuteronomy 13, beginning in verse 1, says this. If there rises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder. We already got right there. Peter is proclaiming Jesus Christ. He's made a lame man get up and leap. So there's a sign and a wonder. So they've got to discover this. And it says in verse 2, And the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. Now you've got to understand, they're thinking he's telling them about another god. He's teaching them about Jesus in the resurrection. Verse 3, And you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So they gathered this council together, and they said, We need to find out if he's teaching something that we disagree with. We need to make certain that before this gets out there, before word spreads, before it goes crazy, before other people start joining in, and before other people think that we are accepting of it, we need to gather them together, we need to sit them down, and we need to have a serious talk with them. Because in verse 4 it says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. That's what they were trying to discover. Do we kill these two men? Do we stop the work that they're doing? We need to figure out if they're being obedient to the word of God. We need to find out if they're teaching something that is disrespectful to the word of God. If they're trumping or going over God's word, we need to find out. That's why the scribes were there. They were the experts of the law. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of people that think they're an expert of this book. There are a lot of people that think they know everything in this book. The moment you find somebody that says they know everything, just turn them off. You don't know why? Because you'll never understand everything in God's word. There are some things that, guess what? You have to take by faith because your finite mind can't comprehend some of it. If your finite mind can comprehend salvation, I'm blown. If your finite mind can comprehend the Trinity, good job. But I'm here to tell you there are some things that we've got to take on faith. Some things that we just know that the almighty, omniscient, all-knowing God knows and understands. And he's in control and we're just fine with that. These guys sitting here as they're being judged. By what power? In what name have you done this? Now, can I tell you, Peter could have responded very simply. He could have said, Jesus, and been done. But I'm here to tell you. Peter was getting ready to rip them a new one. He was unafraid, unashamed, and he was getting ready to light them up. Look with me in verse 8 as we look at the testimony by Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We need more of that. 
We need more of that. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it started from the very beginning when God had made that promise in Acts 1.8. But you shall, what, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and other parts of the world. Peter was prepped and ready for that. And then in Acts chapter 2 was the fulfillment of that promise where the Holy Spirit came down and dwelt among them. And Peter preached a message, and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And God used him mightily. God used Peter. Now get this. It was God who did the saving. It was God who did the growing. It was God who did the changing. He just used Peter as a vessel. And whenever you think you're more than a vessel, you're in a lot of trouble. We're just vessels to be used by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and verse 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. It's a constant filling. It's not a one-time filling. Every day we need to be seeking the direction and guidance and leadership and wisdom of the Holy Spirit according to God's Word. We need to be filled on a daily basis so that God can use us wherever we go. God's Word is speaking here and he says... Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's not where he stopped, though, is it? He answered the question right there. You want to know how this guy is no longer lame. You want to know why this guy is jumping for joy. You want to know why I preached and people are listening. You want to know why these things are going on. It's because of Jesus. But here's where he decides he's not going to end. Here's where he decides he's not just done. Here's where he decides he's going to let them have it. And he says this, whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. You crucified him. You didn't want to listen to him. You didn't want to follow him. You didn't want to serve him. But you crucified him. You didn't believe him. You didn't listen to the things that he taught. And you crucified him. But let me tell you something. You tried to put him down. But you can't keep a good man down. You crucified him. But he's risen from the dead. Now, you say, well, why does that matter? Because here's what they know and understand. That if a miracle happened, it couldn't be performed by a liar. If a miracle happened, it couldn't be performed by somebody who wasn't intact with God. If a miracle had happened, it couldn't have been performed by somebody who wasn't in service for God. So when this miracle happened, it put a light bulb above their head going, wait a minute, these guys are following God. Something's happened. We need to figure out what's going on because I don't like what they're teaching. We don't like what they're saying. We don't like who they're preaching. And they said, but it's by the power of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you. Oh, they weren't done yet. Look at verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone. They quoted Psalm chapter 118 and verse 22, but this would not be the, this would not be the first nor the last time it would be quoted because Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 21 made a statement about this. In Matthew 21, beginning of verse 42, he says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
He says, you want to know what? Here's, here's the point of the message. Here's the point of being that cornerstone. He said, you can fall on it or it can fall on you. Those who fall on it, fall on it in humility, understanding their need for repentance and turning over to Jesus Christ. But there's coming a day where that stone is going to fall on them and it's going to grind them to pieces and send them to an eternity in hell. That's the whole point. Jesus was the stone that those rejected. They did not want anything to do with him. And Peter would later proclaim this in his own letter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he says, It's coming to him as a, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." They would take stones and they would pick them up and they would decide whether the stone would be used in a building. But the most important stone in every building was a cornerstone. Today it would be like a foundation. My dad is a contractor. He builds houses. One thing I learned is that if the foundation is not level, the whole house will not be level. If the foundation is messed up, the whole house will be messed up. The same was true in Israel's time with the cornerstone. If the cornerstone wasn't a perfect stone, if it wasn't able to be plumb and, and basically run straight off of it, it wasn't a usable stone. Well, the builders picked it up. The high priest, those of the Sadducees and those of the Pharisees, they picked up the stone. They looked at it and said, no, we don't like this one. And they tossed it aside. And God said, you may reject it. You may do away with it. But I'm going to make it the centerpiece of everything in my message. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Now here's the thing. Here's what Peter says. Peter says, you are living stones. He's talking about us, the church. You are living stones. We are being built off of that cornerstone. God is chipping away at us, making us what we need to be so that we can be a part of that building. You realize that we are the building of Christ. Not this building. We are the building. We are the church. We are the living stones being built off of that cornerstone. We need to be who God has called us to be. We need to be those living stones. He says, you rejected, but God did not. And I love verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I have never understood why people want multiple choices. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other answer. There is no other salvation. There is no other opportunity. It is only through the name of Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you ask evangelical Christians if there are other ways that there is even a percentage of those calling themselves evangelical Christians. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only way, you're not a Christian. I just want to make that clear. If you believe that you can get there through Buddha, if you believe that you can get there through Muhammad, if you believe that there's other ways to get to heaven other than through Jesus Christ, if you believe you can get there through your works, if you believe you can get there through your baptism, if you can believe that you can get there any other way than Jesus Christ, you need Jesus because you're not saved. There is no other way, no other name but Jesus. That's it. Jesus makes it very clear. He doesn't give options. He doesn't give other opportunities. In fact, Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. 
He says there's only one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. If there's only one mediator, there's only one advocate, there's only one propitiation, there's only one salvation, there is only one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. You know, in the North Pole, in February 1959, they built a chapel there, and in that chapel, they put an altar. And above that altar, they had four pictures. They had the picture of Jesus, they had a picture of a crucifix, they had a picture of the star David, and they had a picture of a lotus leaf that represented Buddha. And they put below those pictures, they wrote this quote, Now it can be said that the earth turns on the point of faith. The idea is all fates lead to heaven. Scripture does not teach that. Does not teach that. Scripture teaches there's one way, and there's no other way. I see these bumper stickers on cars today that say coexist, and it's all the different religious symbols on there. I hate that bumper sticker. Now, here's the thing. I know what they're trying to say. We ought to be able to coexist. I don't mind coexisting with you, but I'm also going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you that those ways will not get you to heaven. Because how much love would I show you if I wasn't willing to tell you the truth? You think about the idea that people are trying to get there through so many other ways, and Peter makes it very clear there's salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I think Jesus said something about this when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. There's a broad gate. There's a, there's a great way. I mean, and the world will tell you there's so many different ways to get to heaven. There's so many ways in it that we're all supposed to just work together, and we're all supposed to be. I'll work together with anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is the only way. Now, I'll coexist with those who are different from me. I'll coexist with them, but I'm also going to teach them the truth. I'm going to love them enough to tell them the truth. But I'm going to show them that there is only a narrow road that leads to heaven. There's only one way. And that way is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. you got to think about the very name that he was given. Jesus, which means Savior. Yeshua saves. Yahweh saves. God founded it even in his name to talk to us about salvation. We need to understand there is no other way. And if we really believe that there is no other way as Christians, then we need to be proclaiming it loud and clear to everyone we meet. We don't need to back down. We don't need to be scared if we'll lose someone or something. We don't need to be afraid. But like Peter and John, we need to be willing to give up whatever it means, even our freedom, so that the message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed far and wide. My question for you today is, are you saved? Are you genuinely saved? Are you completely in? Are you sold out? I remember... I always loved Vacation Bible School, and I'm glad they changed it. It used to be the ABCs was admit, believe, and commit. 
And they, they got rid of commit, and I'm glad they got rid of it. The reason being is we live in a generation where commitments mean nothing. Commitments can be broken. You can find your way out of them. You can get away from them. Now it's confess, but I actually like to use the word surrender. Because when you surrender, you give up all your rights. You throw up the white flag and you wave it before God. And you say, you know what, God? It's not what I want. You can do with me what you want. You can have me all the way. It's not about my desires. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want in and through my life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It's no longer my right to live for myself. I'm surrendered. I just asked you this morning, are you surrendered? Are you saved? Do you realize there is only one way? Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your love, mercy, and grace.